I am fascinated, intrigued, and honored you by may the have done what they said you did, but they are magnificent, they marvelous. Are. You need to know that you're okay just the way you are. More succeeded you as a child. What you've been through matters. This podcast is designed for you. It's Love on a mission hope. in a world about where human experience is lacking. My name is Ginger Wilk, and we're here to talk about that which matters. Welcome to That Which Matters. I wanted to be able to discuss over the next couple of episodes a really, really important topic about standing guard against unhealthy and destructive church community-based experiences. I just want to kind of be able to explain who I am again, that I have had 30 years of leadership in evangelical church experiences. I have been the director of pastoral care for congregation members, and I've had external people who have experienced trauma and struggles in their own religious organizations. Um, and that would be broadly, not just specific to what type of religious communities that I've been a part of. I've had my own personal experiences, and I've seen a multitude of common patterns that have been expressed by people over the years. And I encourage you to really listen, even if you feel as though you haven't had an experience like this. I'm sure all people have had relatives, friends, others that have had some sort of commonality in this area. And this can apply to any type of intense community-based groups, corporate cultures even, dysfunctional family environments, but mostly religious organizations that have no higher affiliations or something that brings accountability and checks and balances in place. There are tons of things that have been spoken and viewed about what has gone wrong in the past. This is not about targeting all of the problems in these particular communities or institutions. This is to help you or those you know to go forward to ensure protection and healthiness over you, your friends, and family members. And so what I really want to do is to talk about the areas that are important for you to stand guard over and to put into place. And the first one is boundaries. Now, boundaries is a very, very important element for us to take a look at because without boundaries, we can experience all sorts of difficulties in our relationships in any way, shape, or form. And what boundaries are a line or lines that mark the limits of an area? Boundaries are a dividing line. So it's so critical that we're able to understand what that means, that you're able to say no, that you've discerned that you've hit a limit or that you've come to the end of that territory. So for instance, I want to give you a visual example. Just imagine you're at your house or apartment and someone pulls into your driveway or pulls right in front of where you live, or they start coming up to your door. Your reaction would be, who is this person and why are they encroaching on my territory? You would be looking out the window, trying to figure out in so many different ways, why is this person coming close by? You might find out later it's the Uber Eats driver or it's someone delivering a package or somebody who's simply lost and turning around, but it raises a red flag to you that goes up and tells you that something is not right. And that's what boundaries should do in other types of circumstances. There should be a red flag that is raised that tells you something's not right. My territory is starting to be encroached upon. So where do we see boundaries in this 
particular area of communities or church groups or all of the other places that I mentioned. And one of them has to do with investment in events or services, how much time you spend in those events, church services, um, commitments that happen throughout the course of the week. And what's really important is to spread out your experiences and social outings with people other than from that church community or from that particular community where you are most of the time and have a variety of friends and acquaintances. We should never have everything that we do be in one particular community or with one particular amount of people. It doesn't matter if there's a community of people that you prefer, that you want to be around, that's fine. But we should always spread out those experiences and make sure that our life is not just about one common group of people and set of events all the time. You should involve yourself in other formal activities other than religious-based offerings. For instance, sports events for your children, if you have young children, that's a really good community of people that you can talk to and be around and share the experience of having young kids or young athletes or even older athletes in the family. Uh, neighborhood or block parties and events, knowing the people that are in your communities and getting together with them to get to know who they are and experience just the new culture of that particular environment. Extended family gatherings, uh, being able to make sure that you're not leaving your family out entirely. A lot of what I've seen in my experiences with people who really just kind of tip over in one direction as far as just having too much involvement in church communities or so forth is that they tend to kind of ditch their extended family members. Uh, they don't make time for them. They don't find that it's significant enough for them to be able to get together, and they miss out on opportunities and exchanges with people that really care about them. Work events. It's very, very important to be involved in things around your work and whether there's picnics or there's parties or there's functions, fundraisers. Really important that you don't keep that out of your life just because you have you know, Bible study over here or something else that needs to be attended, um, hobby based functions. You know, some people are involved in photography or they love to watch birds or, you know, they just enjoy playing basketball or whatever the case may be within that is a community of people. And so it's real important that when we look at our time, we're not just on automatic pilot, constantly being with the same people, constantly being at the same place, because that's going to cause a lack of growth to happen in other areas of our lives. We may be growing spiritually, which is important, and I'm not undermining that. It is an important thing to grow spiritually, but actually spiritual growth can happen in a lot of different ways in addition to our church family and other things that we take part in. To give you an example of some of the things I've seen in my counseling practice is, um, you know, we might have a, let's just say it's a wife who's been married for several years and then she's had a very important and significant religious experience where she's very zealous and excited about God and growing in her church community and all of that is awesome because you can see the passion that's within her. But she'll come and talk to me about, for instance, and this has been multiple people, about her husband who isn't at all passionate about God or passionate about growing in God. And 
the complaint is he won't come to anything. You know, I invite him to Bible study, the pastor calls him, he won't come to church, he won't go here. And my advice to them is to take a look at it this way. You're the one who changed things, not him. And this could go both ways for husband or wife, but let's just say in this situation, it's the wife who's zealous and the husband who is resistant. You're the one who changed it. You used to have a relationship that revolved around things like going to the movies or going to concerts or being able to just spend a night, you know, sitting in front of the television with a, a bucket of popcorn. And now suddenly you're gone all the time. You change the rules. Now you never want to be home. You never want to go to a movie. You never want to spend time there because you're absorbed in this new environment. So you're the one who shifted the dynamics of the relationship. So what I often will explain is it's important that you don't completely abandon those things, that you find a balance. And yes, continue to go to church, continue to go to Bible study, but maybe try to work it around your husband's schedule. If you know he's working late one night, that's a good night for you to go. If you know that there's a Sunday that he has an important event that he really wanted you to be a part of, go to that event. Don't omit things that are important for your marriage and for that relationship, because that's definitely going to be something that is going to cause problems. And a lot of times the, the, the emphasis is on how can I get my husband to be a part of all of this? And I will tell you this, your best chance of being able to get a family member who's not as passionate as you to go to church or to go to some of those events is for you to have balance. Because if they see that you have gone in a totally different direction, that's going to raise a red flag for them. And they're going to think that something's wrong and they're going to get protective. They're going to want to find out what the heck has happened with my wife or what the heck has happened with my husband that he or she is a completely different person. So finding balance, there's a scripture that says that a person who fears the Lord will avoid all extremes. So if your time investment is an extreme investment and an abandonment of all other things, then it has become unbalanced and you need to look at maybe setting some better boundaries. Another set of boundaries that we need to put into place has to do with volunteerism. And this is something that I have definitely seen has been really, really tipped in the wrong direction uh, with not having balance in some church communities. I believe in volunteerism. I want to tell you that. I believe in it. I've mentioned before that my husband and myself, we've done a lot of volunteer work. We love to do outreach. We've you know led youth groups gone into the prisons, not gotten paid for any of that stuff. Um, but volunteerism needs to not be out of whack. And in a lot of the church communities, it is out of whack. The average amount of hours that people volunteer in America, just in general, not in churches, but just in general, is about 52 hours a year. So that's just Americans across the board. So if you break that down, it's basically one hour weekly right? That people are volunteering. And if you look at some of the trends within some of the church groups and so forth, it's way, 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 way more than one hour per week. It may not be every single week, but it's a ton of hours that are spent volunteering. And 
putting together a grant or putting together some sort of a proposal for volunteer time for nonprofits, what they do is they come up with kind of like what would be a value per hour for a volunteer. And they come up with, not that you pay volunteers, but if we had to figure out how much we're saving or how much worth it is to have volunteers, it's about $28 per hour that the states look at as the value for a volunteer hour. So if you think about it, it's the equivalent of about $1,484 per year for those 52 hours per year of volunteer service. And if then you were going to do the math on how many hours you have put in and volunteered and apply that same formula, many of you will probably see that you probably could have paid cash for a house with all of the hours that you put in. And again, we know that in church and the concept is that when you're serving in God's kingdom, there's a heavenly reward. So it's not like we're looking for payment for all of these things. But I think we do need to take a look at balance because this is something that I have seen that also causes a lot of problems in families and in marriage when people are out all hours of the day. They're not just going to church. They're not just going to Bible study. They're staying afterwards for many, many meetings. You know, they have their children falling asleep underneath tables because they're staying many, many, many hours per day or week or whatever the case may be. And it is definitely thrown out of whack. So here's some suggestions. Really, volunteerism should be an event or season-based. What that means is that there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. For instance, vacation Bible school. You know, we're going to have you volunteer, and it's going to be for two weeks in the month of July. And it might be a lot of preparation, a lot of time during, maybe some recap afterwards, but there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. By the end of July, I'm done with that volunteer experience. Or some churches have church bazaars or things like that. They have a, you know, a place where they sell things and so forth and so on. And that's once a year, twice a year, or whatever. So volunteerism should be around an event or a season so that you're not signing on the dotted line your life away, but that you're agreeing to be a part of this specific thing. Or another rationale is a rotational volunteering, because we all know that, you know, a lot of churches, nonprofits, you know, they don't have a lot of money, so they can't pay people to do everything, but it should be rotational. So it's not the same person doing the same work week after week without relief. I remember visiting one church years ago and they had a great schedule, one month on, one month off. And the one month on would be husband and wife or family, you know, would all volunteer during that one month. And then the month off, they would all be just sitting in their seats and receiving what they needed to get from church. And I thought that was a really great plan. I'm, I'm not saying that it's something that every place can do, but it's being conscious of the fact that there's high burnout that can happen. And I understand in the beginning of a church, if it's a new church, it's a church plan. There's a lot of work that has to be done in the beginning. So again, that would fall underneath something that's seasonal. In the beginning, you know, we have to do a lot of stuff because there's only a few of us, but it definitely shouldn't stay there. So be very careful not to get pulled into doing um, too much of that, but also not getting pulled into doing personal things for the leaders or the pastors for free. That's very different, right? If you're volunteering for an organization or for a nonprofit, 
the work that's being done for that particular institution is important work, you know, especially outreach and things like that. It's important work. Some of it is not glamorous. Some of it is internal. Some of it is doing sound and all those things. And all that's legitimate. But when it starts to pull into doing things for the actual leaders or the pastors, now you're over at their homes and you're fixing things, carpentry for free, that's a problem. That's a conflict of interest. Um, that's a dual relationship because who doesn't want to really please their pastor, right? Who doesn't want to be, um, in a good, you know, kind of agreement with your pastor that, you know, they enjoy being with you. They have you on speed dial and so forth. So we can get sucked into things, but things like that, that doesn't fall underneath what a nonprofit is, um, when you're doing something for that actual person in their personal homes, that's something that, okay, if there's a one-time thing, let's say they're deck is falling down and you're helping them out. That's different. But for the rest of the time, there needs to be pay for that. You should, you should ask for a payment. If that's your business. You're a carpenter. You should ask for payment for it or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, this tends to happen in some places I've heard of with childcare, a lot of volunteers just taking care of the children for pastors or leaders or whatever the case may be, renovations of their personal home, things like that. These things need to be paid services and it's okay for you to put your foot down and to be able to say, listen, this is what I do for a living. If you, you know, I would be more than happy to make you a priority, but if you want me to redo your kitchen or whatever, this is the estimate and it's either a yes or a no. So it's okay to be able to ask for that and they may move on to somebody else, but you need to be able to say it and not be taken advantage of. And I think it's not so much that people are out to take advantage as much as it's just a very murky situation because it becomes a little bit, when I say incestuous, I'm not talking about sexual things, but just everybody's kind of helping everybody. And that's where sometimes the boundaries can become very, very unclear. So, um, it also too, you want to make sure that your serving is mostly meeting the needs of the community, right? Like I said, there are some things that need to be done for the church services and I'm not slamming that it has to run based on volunteers, but most of the serving should be things that serve the community, the vacation Bible school, like I mentioned, you know, going into the prison, uh, feeding the hungry, um, going out and evangelizing, giving clothing to people who need it or food, food pantries. It should be mostly around that. If you're finding that a lot of the serving that you're doing is more based around, um, you know, an individual need within the church structure, or it's, it's more just about the building and things like that. You might want to bring a lot of balance to that because we always should look for signs of modern slavery, wherever we are, where we're, we're just serving and serving and serving and we're not getting paid. So that's an important thing. And I want to mention to you in Luke 15, this is about the prodigal son, but I want to focus on the older son. And I know many of you are very familiar with the prodigal son, whether you've read the Bible or not. It's a, it's a familiar story. But I also think in this scenario, the older son is important. And so 
basically what happened was the prodigal son basically went out, you know, squandered all of his wealth, um, asked for the father to just liquidate his inheritance. And then he went out and spent it on whatever prostitutes, who knows uh, what he spent it on, but he squandered it. And so the older son uh, was still home and basically watched this whole thing happen. The prodigal son came back and the father welcomed him with open arms, which is a beautiful story. But the older son was ticked. And this is the important part of what I'm trying to bring across in today's podcast. The older son said to his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Notice that word. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home you kill the fattened calf for him. And so he's ticked, you know, he's coming at his dad really upset. Like, you know what? I'm entitled because I'm working and slaving here constantly and you're not giving me what I deserve. And the father says to him, my son, you are always with me and everything that I have is yours. So basically what he was saying is that I am not giving you your property, your inheritance, your love or whatever it is because of the fact that you're serving me. He's saying you're always with me. We're, we're right here together. One to one, like we're connected. Everything that I have is yours. Not just what you think is coming, but everything that I have is yours. And so basically what he's saying is it's because you're my son not because of what you do. And I think a lot of times what happens is, is that as Christians or as people who are really dedicated to the religious organizations is that somehow we miss that. And we think that we have to earn our way to God. We have to earn our way to his good graces. And the most important thing we need to take away from this is the fact that that's not how God sees it. Because if, if the whole goal is to earn our way to God, we've already lost. I just want to make sure everybody's clear on that, right? We've already lost that because none are righteous. That's why God sent Jesus on the cross and so forth, because he realized that we could never, ever earn our way to God. All the instructions that were given, all the lambs and all of the offerings and so forth, we're never going to do it. And so that's why we are saved or we have a relationship with God by grace, not by earning it, but we know that and we preach it and we talk about it, but we act as if that's not true. And a lot of times that's where we get caught up in not having those proper boundaries because we believe that somehow we are responsible for just kind of having to serve. And that's why we get ticked off at God when things don't go well. Cause we're like, listen, we've been doing this for, you know, 40 years. Where's mine? You know, where, why am I struggling in this area? Why haven't I found a husband or a wife? Why haven't I been able to resolve these financial issues? Or why haven't I been able to get this promotion at work? Cause we, what we're really doing with God is we're bartering with him. You know, we're kind of like, I do for you, you do for me. And that's not the message of the gospel. And so we can be taken advantage of in this pursuit of trying to earn our way to God when that's not how it works at all. And, and certainly we can get blessed by volunteering. And there's lots of statistics about how volunteering actually 
increases our lifespan anywhere, volunteering anywhere, not just in churches or religious organizations, anywhere. There's so many great stats about how healthy volunteering can actually be a benefit to us. It can increase our health and all of that. But we need to make sure that we're not going to a point where it's becoming extreme because I promise you, your family members probably, if it's happening, are already pointing it out to you or your friends are pointing it out to you. And even you know at times that it's become extreme. The other way where we can have boundaries is with our own children and household. And I want it to be really, really clear that we need to understand the reality of a congregation and a religious organization. And we probably are aware of this more now than ever with all the shootings that are taking place, you know, throughout the country, a church, a congregation, whether it's a mosque or a temple or a church or whatever is a public place. I'm going to say that again. It's a public place, right? Anybody, anybody can walk into the doors of a church or a temple or a mosque or a library or whatever the case may be. Anyone, no matter their background, their mental health status, their ability to be triggered, whether they're unhealed, they have unidentified issues, they can walk in at any time. So I think there needs to be an awareness of that and understanding that when you're in that place, and please continue to go, right? This is not about not going, but that you're not surrounded by all people that are thinking the way you are or that are have the same boundaries or morals that you do just because everybody is talking about God or there for God. A good church should be a place to welcome all visitors, right? So I'm not discouraging that. It should be the type of thing where they can come as they are and for people to feel a sense of belonging. However, as it pertains to your personal home, family, and life, you should proceed with caution. Trust should be carefully built over time. So some of the questions that you might ask is, okay, if you frequent the movies, for instance, let's just say you love to go to this movie theater that's local to your area. And many of the same people come out. You run into some of the same people and you go on a Saturday night and you, you watch at your local theater films. And everybody that is in that theater loves films. Or let's just say you attend a fitness gym, right? And you start taking weight training classes with people and you begin to recognize people that are there, right? All, week after week after week, you recognize them, you see them, you all love fitness, right? However, would you then invite them into your home for weekly discussions about films or fitness right away out of the gate? Just because someone loves films and you love films, does that mean that they're okay for you to invite into your personal home? Or just because you all love fitness, is that okay for you to invite them into your personal home where your family is, where your children are sleeping, where your belongings are, this your particular personal space where they know the ins and outs of that? Would you let them live in your house just because you all love films? Would you let them watch your kids under, in under a month's time? All of a sudden you let them give childcare to your children? Would you lend them your car? Would you co-sign a loan? Would you go on a romantic trip with them just because they like to talk about movies, fitness, or even God? I think it's important to really understand that that is a reality. Churches and religious groups are vulnerable to predators of all kinds. All kinds of people who have burned bridges elsewhere are seeking quick 
and inappropriate support from that community. There should be love. There should be acceptance. There should be help for all the people that come in within the policies of that organization. But please be aware, be alert, and give plenty of time before you trust. That's very, very important. I've seen a lot of people that have trusted when they shouldn't have. So boundaries also with finances. Um, nonprofits and religious organizations run on donations. This is standard and it's fruitful as long as there's transparency with finances and budgets. There should be an operating expense that's imperative for most of these communities that should meet the community, right? It should meet the community. It should be something that goes towards the community. What you give should be based on consent to give that amount and not overriding the demands um, or manipulation, not done in secrecy so that my spouse won't find out or this one won't find out. Yes, God loves a cheerful giver, but it should never be forced. It shouldn't be guilted or it shouldn't be manipulated. If you want to give, that's fine, but give because you consent to do that. I have definitely seen situations where pastors and leaders have taken advantage of congregation members. They've asked church members to make them the beneficiary of their life insurance. They've gotten churches involved in multi-level marketing schemes that have run rampant through the churches. Um, there have been business transactions that have gone terribly wrong. Beware of that. Make sure that um, there's transparency. There should be meetings about what exactly that church or organization gives to, what they receive, what that business entails. So the good news is that you have a heart to serve and to help people, and you give your time and money, and that's a beautiful thing. Biblically, God rewards this, and he knows your heart. It's important to just do an analysis of the property lines and keep them intact. You should have control over your own personal home, family, time, finances, personal space without guilt. And to close out on a quote, it says, if someone throws a fit because you set boundaries, it just gives more evidence that that boundary is needed and the author is unknown. Thank you so much. And please tune into the next podcast for part two. In collaboration with IML Productions, this has been your host, Ginger Wilk, with That Which Matters. Thank you for listening.